This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Welcome to the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast. My name is Sam, and I'm your host. And today on the podcast, we've got a great conversation with John Aiden. With more than 25 years of global experience spanning five continents and 28 different countries, John Aiden has been a senior executive with a record of delivering growth, leveraging scale, driving innovation, and building high-performance teams at some of the world's top companies, including Walmart, Mac Tools, and Frito-Lay. In September of 2021, John began leading one of the largest Christian ministries, David C. Cook. John and his wife, Crystal, have been married for 25 years and have two children and live in Colorado Springs, where David C. Cook is headquartered. This is such a fascinating conversation between John and Richard, and we'll leave links, as always, in the uh, description and the show notes to uh, ways to connect with John and, and some of the stuff that he's doing at David C. Cook now. Um, We managed to break this up into two episodes, and so this is part one of Richard's conversation with John Aiden. Well, welcome everyone to this week's podcast. I'm glad that you're with us. And uh, this is one of those special times that I get to do where I get to interview a leader. Uh, And this is not just any leader. This is a friend, a colleague, someone I work with on a regular basis and someone I have great admiration for. Uh, and this is John Aiden, who is the uh, relatively new, as of about seven, eight months, CEO of David C. Cook uh, Publishers, based out of Colorado Springs. And uh, John is uh, just a, a good friend and someone that loves the Lord, and I'm delighted to have him on with us this morning. So welcome, John. Glad that you're with us this morning. Richard, thank you so much. I am so pleased to be on this uh, podcast with you this morning uh, and have a conversation on leadership with you um, for many, many reasons, as you know, <laughs> but it's just, it's such a privilege. So thank you. Well, thanks. And I, you first knew my father uh, and you can maybe mention that, but tell us maybe just to begin with, uh, you've done some awesome things as a leader. You, you were the CEO of, of Mac Tools at one point. You were a very high up leader in Walmart. Uh, with a number of different uh, roles while you were there. But but give us just a, a bit of a journey for John. What is John Aiden's leadership journey? Because I know you started fairly early out of the shoot. You were already leading uh, at an early age. And so how, how did you get started uh, in that leadership journey? And, and where is that taking you today? Oh, thank you, Richard. Yeah, I, I graduated from the University of Washington in 1990, so that's going to uh, date me here uh, <laughs> significantly for this conversation. But um, Richard, my first job out of college was uh, with Frito-Lay, driving a Frito-Lay potato chip truck. Hmm. Um, and uh, But I, I actually started with the company in a leadership development program and I always knew, uh, I've always had a passion for leadership. Even when I was in high school, Richard, I was reading books on leadership and in college. And I actually purposely chose Frito-Lay hmm. out of college to work for them because I, I assume that leaders put together plans. And then if those plans work, then they get promoted. Hmm. And at Frito-Lay, we sold a product that that expired every 30 days. So I figured every 30 days you get to put together a new plan and if you're successful. It works out. Anyway, uh, uh, I worked for 10 years for Frito-Lay and I grew from a truck to, uh, when I was 25, I was leading a, a, a 55 or $60 million division out of Portland, Oregon. And, 
Uh, and then in my late twenties, I became a senior vice president for them. And, uh, I just loved Frito-Lay. We can talk about its culture and how it shaped me mm-hmm. as a leader. But in 2000, I became the president of a company called Mac tools out of Ohio. And, uh, that was a turnaround. I'll tell you more about that when we have time, did that for seven years, uh, uh, Love that experience. That's when I connected with uh, Dr. Blackaby, your father, for the first time, and hopefully we'll discuss that. I left Mac Tools in 2007 uh, to become the uh, senior vice president of international operations for Walmart International. I ran international operations, our global logistics, and our global acquisition integration team. So as we bought people, we'd have to integrate those companies and I led the team that did the integrations around the globe. And I stayed at Walmart until 2015, just through a variety of jobs, uh, ultimately moved from international into the domestic business and ran much of the non-food side of the store and then retired in 2015 uh, to get ready for my next assignment, which is now at David C. Cook as the CEO of this uh, Christian publisher curriculum and music business. And um, hopefully we'll get to talk about it. But I tell you, Richard, that although David C. Cook is is uh, not nearly as big as the tens and tens of billions of dollars I got to lead at Walmart, I'm absolutely convinced this is the most important assignment of my lifetime. And everything I've done up till now has prepared me for this moment. Wow. Well, I know there's a lot to unpack with you, John. Yes. And I know your stories, and uh, many of them, and I really want our listeners to hear those. And uh, maybe maybe we just begin with, with turnarounds, because whether you're, you come to a church that's been in decline, whether you come to a company that's uh, been losing profitability and market share over the years, um, a lot of our listeners are going to be in a place at some point where they've got to take what is and, and get it to where God wants it to be. And, and you've taken a company that's somewhere like around 150 years old or so, uh, and that had been in some decline for the last uh, decade or more, uh, losing sales and so on. And, um, and you've been there about seven months. And I, I, I mean, I know you well enough to know that Things were not going to stay the same once you walked in the door, but um, already you're you're experiencing some tremendous uh, success and growth. Uh, and uh, but but what have you learned? And you can tell us what you what you've done. I mean, it's always been a good company where you've been working, but you've you've made it better already. And a lot of people, I mean, there's a lot of leaders out there right now that are trying to turn something around, and they may not be having the kind of success you're having, but. What, what, what advice would you give and what have you learned just as you've turned around this? Uh, you, you went from a pretty dynamic, uh, growth-oriented uh, Walmart to an older, tired uh, publisher that just needed a shot in the arm and, and uh, some new vision. And that takes different kind of leadership to do that. Um, yep. And so what, what have you learned and what, what advice would you give to the folks trying to turn something around today? Uh, great. Let me give you just a little context and then I'll give you my thoughts on turnaround. So I did, I joined David C. Cook eight months ago. And I think for more than a decade and a half, at least it's had relatively flat organic growth. You know, it, uh, it's a, and, uh, in just seven months, we've been able to achieve uh, double digit growth, uh, mm-hmm. organically year over year, same people, a lot of the same projects, just a different approach. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's exciting for me. Uh, much of this growth has happened just in the last uh, three or four months. And so we're experiencing what I would call a hockey stick uh, mm. acceleration in our results. And it just seems like it keeps growing month after month. Um, but that's just the context. 
turnarounds, uh, Richard, what I would tell you about fixing things is that I've spent almost 30 years of my career specifically looking for opportunities to fix things. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why in my, in the mid nineties, I had an opportunity to take uh, a zone business for Frito-Lay. One of them was one of the top performing zones in all the nation. And, and this was a 50 or $60 million business. And one of them was the absolute worst 106 out of 106 zones. Wow. And I asked a mentor of mine, what should I do? And he said, John, Go to the go to the part of the stream that's moving the fastest, and then swim with the current. So his advice was to take the team that's already performing well and just go with the momentum. Hmm. But my heart said, nah, "That's not really how I'm wired, Richard." And <laughs> so I I chose the worst of the worst. Uh, and in one year, that business went from 106th in the nation to number three in the nation wow. in one year. And since that time, Richard, as I grew through jobs at Frito-Lay and then I went to Mac Tools specifically because it was a turnaround significantly, every time we sold a dollar at at Mac Tools when I got there, we lost 17 cents. Hmm. Uh, It was uh, a tough situation to be in when your shareholders make more money if you don't sell anything. And um, (laughs) uh, But I signed up for that uh, because over... The first decade decade of my career, Richard, we started, I would just call building a tool chest of turnaround techniques and things that you do. Hmm. So uh, same thing happened at Walmart. I, there, I took a business in 2011, Richard, that was a uh, about $10 billion, uh, really struggling, had been struggling for a number of years. And um, Nobody wanted to lead this business because it was a career killer. It was one of those jobs where if you ended up in that job, you're probably on your way out of the company. Hmm. And I raised my hand and I said, I'll take that job. And do you know, in six months, we moved that business from negative 7% to flat and six months later to positive seven. It was almost a one and a half billion dollar turnaround in 12 months. Wow. Billion with the B. So anyway, <laughs> I love turnarounds. But there, to me, it's a art and a science, and it's very predictable. It's not a random act hmm. turning around things. And so let me just share a couple thoughts I have. Um, over time, Richard, when I f- was a young leader and I moved into Mac Tools uh, in that uh, challenging situation, ultimately, Richard, I replaced 13 of my 15 direct reports. Hmm. Um Hmm. At that time, uh, you know, I read a lot of books in the 90s around Jack Welch and and that whole uh, kind of mindset. And that's the mindset I had in, when I went into to, to Mac Tools. Um, and, you know, ultimately it worked out. It was a long process. It took many years to build momentum. I'll tell you, in 2011, when we turned the Hardlines business at Walmart around, I did that turnaround with all the same people Hmm. and my mind shift changed a lot in that decade. And Hmm. some of it is just my personal spiritual growth. But the first thing I've learned about turnarounds, Richard, that is very, very important is that, and I, most people don't like to hear this, but usually the problem was with the leaders, not with the people. Hmm. And I've, I just have learned to walk into an environment now, assuming that the people who know how to fix the situation that we're in at this moment are already on your team, Hmm. but somewhere they haven't been given their voice. They've lost their voice. They've lost their confidence. They've lost their ability 
to speak into what the circumstances and the situations are that they see. Somebody stop listening to them, and then bad things start to happen. So the first rule of the turnaround that I, that I have developed throughout my career over a 20-year time frame of fixing things is I always walk in assuming that the problem is with the leader hmm. and the answers are with the people. Hmm. Wow. And, um, and, and so, Richard, my, my, my first 30, 60, 90 days in an organization, if you operate from that perspective, is, is spent listening to the people. Hmm. Lots and lots of time of listening to your people, to your customers, even your competitors, the ones that will talk to you, trying to understand, create a safe environment for people to really be heard. And it's not easy to do because you usually walk into an environment where people have not experienced being heard for a while. Mm. And, and um, so building trust. And to me, we do that with a lot of transparency, a lot of visibility. um, And we, and we really focus on building relationships as fast as we can. Does Mm. that make sense? Yeah. And I know sometimes, I mean, I think uh, we both know there, there are sometimes there are people though that uh, don't want to, to change, they for whatever reason they've they're stuck in the way it's been. Uh, they're going to resist uh, change. And I, how, how much uh, how much grace do you show someone that says that's you know they're they're on the fence, they're not ready to jump in and go with the the, the vision and so on the the change in direction. Yeah, Richard, I think on the front side of of walking into a challenging situation, it requires a lot of grace. Mm-hmm. Um, most most people just are are hardwired not to jump on the ship yeah. <laughs> on day one. You know, we just uh, they don't won't trust the new person. Uh, there's just lots of baggage that people will bring into those conversations. So I've learned that it's my responsibility to not react in those moments. To to keep the rudder steady. Uh, and to just trust the process and know that 30, 60, 90 days from now, we're going to make real progress. People are going to trust more. They're going to be more open. And, um, and there is a time, Richard, uh, where, where, you know, and I would say sometime after the three, four month mark, especially with your senior leaders, where you've spent the most amount of time, where by then, if people aren't starting to line up and, and see the new vision and direction. It's time to it's time to make a change, mm-hmm. um, and and that and and I would say that that just as you cascade down in the organization, that timeline just gets longer and longer, mm-hmm. uh, and I think we need more and more grace to allow. You know, there's oftentimes people hurt down in an organization that have been hurt uh, through interactions that have had their voice taken away from them, their ideas have been squashed down, and it just it takes a, a long time, Richard, to to get build back trust and to, and to give them their voice back. Mm. Now, John, you're, I know I've known you for a while and you're, you're a very passionate guy and you come into something, whatever task you undertake, you, you're all in and your, your enthusiasm is pretty contagious. How do you, how do you keep that up? You've been at it for a while. Like you're not just a rookie now, but you know, watching you is I've kind of watched and walked with you as you've gone into this new role and um, you're like a kid that's that's starting his his first uh, CEO job again. You're, you you seem as excited as ever. How do you keep that up year in and year out as a leader? Uh, and and because I just find if you're going to be a leader, if you're not passionate about what you're doing and where you're going, it's just hard to get other people to be passionate as well. 
Yeah, it's um, it is interesting, Richard. That here I am <laughs> at this stage in my life, with as much energy and as much enthusiasm uh, for what what's happening uh, professionally that I've ever had, and it's mm. it is interesting. I think, and of course, much of that is just God. God just blessing us with joy and enthusiasm for the work that, that we're that we're getting to do in the moment. But I'll tell you, uh, Richard, for me, for decades now, probably at least 10, 20 years, two decades, I've really focused on the purpose of the work I'm doing. Hmm. Even, you know, when we were selling tools at Mac Tools or running around doing global work at Walmart or, you know, even when I was running different businesses inside of Walmart and even now, for me, uh, I focus I try to focus on the purpose, not the work. Why do I do what I'm doing? And when I do that, Richard, I can't help but get passionate because there's a deeper purpose, frankly, in all of the work we do. You don't have to be at a Christian publisher to be doing purposeful work. I, when, I, when I was at Walmart for a brief amount of time, they, they gave me one of my businesses was crafts and fabrics. <laughs> and it seems like a natural it, for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and 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 I and we'd have these meetings once a week with all the top leaders, and I'd show up every Friday with this handful of new fabrics and crafts and things I was so excited to tell my peers about. And one day they said, "Why are you so excited about these these bead art projects and stuff?" And I said, "Because when I look at this craft, I see a mom and a daughter in a kitchen." working and doing something together. I see a father and a son, a mother and a son. I see family moments. Hmm. When I look at this project, I see the end result of this project in a kitchen table and families coming together. And I can't help but get excited about that. Wow. And I want more and more families to experience that. And that, you know, that, that kind of has been my pursuit hmm. today. One of my biggest passions is purposeful leadership, hmm. Richard. And and, and, and I believe the most purposeful leaders I know are the people in my lives, frankly, people like you and Dr. Blackby, who, who help the people around them reach their full potential hmm. in life, not, not just in their workplace, not just in their current assignment in life. Hmm. And to me, Richard, the, the pursuit of that, the pursuit of helping people around us believe in themselves more than they believe in themselves uh, oftentimes I, I see more potential in somebody than they see some, mm. somebody took it out of them. I'm trying to put it back in them. Wow. And there's something about that, Richard, that just, in, you know, how can you not be enthusiastic <laughs> about watching people have breakthroughs? Wow. Wow. What a, what, what a great way to spend your life just doing that yes. and leaving a trail of people behind you that are better and, and excited and passionate now because they worked alongside you. I, well, now, John, you're, can, uh, go ahead. I want to say something though, Richard, sorry for interrupting on this. Yeah. There is a risk to this though. And this is important hmm. because leadership can't be about me at the end of the day. Hmm. You know, uh, it can't be the it, it, strong leaders do not have to be the person who gets all the credit. In fact, somebody once told me the greatest tribute to your leadership is what happens when you leave the room or when you leave the company. Hmm. And if results continue, if momentum continues, then you really left, left, left uh, uh, important. And I think it's important because today, Richard, people like to make celebrity out of momentum. Yeah. Um, 
you know, even, you know, even here, and I appreciate it, even in our short amount of time, the board's very appreciative of what we're doing. And the team will say, gee, this is such an exciting time, but I'm very careful to, to, to receive the compliment, but to also make sure I remember who's really in charge here. Hmm. And it's the good Lord. Hmm. And, uh, and, and it's not healthy, I think for organizations and for leaders to become too much of a celebrity inside their, their teams, which we're seeing lots of that right across the country in so many fields. I, well, let me shift gears. There's so many, I've got, I've got a a stack of questions here to try to get through with you, John, but, but, uh, you know, just knowing your story, you did go through what I would call uh, a wilderness uh, season in your life. You, you were jet setting on Walmart, uh, corporate jets around the world. You were, you were, I know at one point you were responsible for the, the expenditure of over a billion dollars every month. Um, and then, you know, for various reasons, you left uh, Walmart, you retired from there and you, you had what probably we'd, we'd call a, a wilderness season where you weren't sure what was next. And here you are in the prime of your leadership. You're, you've had all kinds of success and then there's kind of a quiet period and I, you know, I got to be a part of just being a friend to you in some of that time. But uh, t- tell us about that, because there, I know that there are people listening uh, even today that may be in that period right now where they, they know that I know that this can't be it. I know God's wired me for more than just kind of this. Why does God I mean, how did God use your your wilderness time? And, you know, what what hope might people have if God's kind of put them off on a side rail uh, seemingly for a, for a time being? So in 2015, I retired. Uh, really, we had a leadership change at Walmart. Like my son said, new head coach, new assistant coaches. And that's, you know, so look into that how you would. But it was perfect time for me because my kids were just in high school. I had been running really fast uh, for a long time. I was not an absentee father. I, I, I hardly missed an event. But um, I was looking very forward to uh not having billions of dollars of responsibility yeah. on my shoulders for a while. And, um, and, and, you know, at first, uh, I was very, very thankful, uh, for the, the opportunity to slow down, get involved with my kids school, pour myself in some, uh, Christian ministries that are important. And, um, and I, and I was, I thought this is going to be a wonderful break, uh, for yeah. a while. And, and that we were at a spot where I didn't, I love working. I never intended to stop working uh, ever. I don't think I can. But anyway, so we had a ranch and I started working on the ranch and I was enjoying the season. But then two years became three years, three years became four years, four years became five. And there was moments in there where, you know, I was not actively pursuing anything, but but I I, I definitely had these, these, these feelings at time, Richard, where it's like, Lord, I've been all over the world for decades. You've been preparing me for things as, is fixing this, this cattle fence, this barbed wire fence, really my destiny is talking to these cows, the best I can do. <laughs> and, um, and I didn't really realize it during that time frame, but just how much work the Lord was doing on my heart, on my pride, on, mm. on, on just my faith, uh, on my purpose, uh, uh, to pre- prepare me for an assignment that would come my way in 2021, which is David, see cook company I just i think it's taken the lord six years to get me to a place where i would even be able to take that phone call Hmm. to be honest and Hmm. then 
And, you know, Crystal and I, uh, well, you know, even as much as I've tried to check my pride and, and I've been, uh, you know, for decades, I feel like I've been a, a missionary in the workplace and I'm thankful that the Lord's given us such a, a big, big, big place to be missionary in. But, but ultimately, even with that, that season for me was all about preparing for the next season. Hmm. And, and there's probably moments, Richard, where I, I made that season longer than it needed to be because, mm. you know, you, you wrestle or you'll, you'll find a new truth. The Lord will reveal something about your character that you want to work on. And you'll just say, I'm not working on that right now. And he's <laughs> like, fine, but you know, you don't get the pass go until we fix this. Mm. But I also think that, you know, what I, what I've learned and, and I've known this throughout my life, my, my, my faith journey is there's going to be seasons where the father's preparing us for the next assignments. Yeah. And, and we just have to, we have to lean in and trust him. And then hopefully Richard, we have good friends around us for those moments where the enemy gets in our head and tries to convince us that yesterday was as good as it gets, hmm. which is one of the biggest lies that the enemy tells people. And I, I tell you, your, your listeners out there, Richard, if there's uh, people that are in the middle of a transition, I find it interesting. Go clear back to Exodus when, 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 when the Israelites were on the edge of the Red Sea and the Egyptians were crashing down on them and they're crying out to the Lord and they're, they're literally complaining and saying, we were better off as slaves in Egypt than we were sitting here at the edge of the Red Sea. And, and throughout Scripture, it's interesting how many times Israel cries out and says, we were better off yesterday hmm. than we are right now. Hmm. And I'm just convinced for, dec- for, 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 for millenniums, the enemy has been perfecting the ability to convince us that yesterday was the best it gets. Hmm. And I think it's one of the great lies hmm. of the deceiver. And I think we have to be purposeful about realizing that is an absolute lie Hmm. in our lives and the best is yet to come. And hopefully in those transition moments, when we're in our personal deserts, Richard, we're leaning into the father and he's taking us through that space. But even when we get weak, we it's, it's then we really need friends, friends like you around friends that will send an encouraging word, friends that will remind you that tomorrow is, is the best to come hmm. and remind you where you've been. That's why journaling is so important, hmm. Richard. I, You're a big I, journaler. I, tell us about I that because uh, I know there's few people I know that take it as seriously as you do. Well, you know, one time Dr. Blackaby said, John, if you're going to write down the words of man, you ought to write down the words that God says to you too. <laughs> you know, what do you do after that? But buy a bunch <laughs> of journals and start writing. It's interesting though. My journals are so predictable a lot of my journals read like, Lord, this is the worst circumstance I've ever been in. I don't know how I got here. You're quiet. Where are we? You know, what, and I, my prayer requests would be in there. My, my, my scriptures would be in there. And then a day or two later, they'd be like, Father, I can't believe how you rescued us out of there. This has been amazing. And I will never, ever again write like I did two days ago. And then a week later, I'm writing the same way again. And, uh, and I've and what I've learned over time is that uh, as I've matured, sometimes 
the gap between the problem and the solution gets longer and longer hmm. and requires more and more faith. Hmm. But my God is still faithful. Hmm. And my and the the God that used to solve my problem in days maybe now solves my problem in six years, hmm. but he's still the same God through that. And I get a lot of comfort, Richard, when I go back and I can look at my journals and read through my own personal stories and just remember how many times God's rescued me, God's revealed things about myself, God's changed me and transformed me, and then he's brought me back to a place I did that was better than what I imagined. Hmm. Wow. That's why journaling is important to me, because it hmm. reminds me it reminds me, it's a factual reminder at the moments when I doubt of God's goodness, His grace, His mercy, His activity in my life. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners. So email us at podcast at blackv.org.